Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast, the third coast of Texas. The darkest truths from the darkest web need to be told. And you must listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Providing an update on the 2014 film UFOs and NATO The Human Mutilation Cover Up. The film is over an hour and a half long, and I recommend you watch the film online if you want more background to today's program. Please note today's program contains images of mutilated animals and human beings. If you don't wish to see this, please switch off now. A further warning to you if you're not familiar with the concept that our government could be covering up some extremely disturbing phenomena, which if proven could challenge your entire belief system. If you don't want to delve into such possibilities, then I advise you change channel now and watch Celebrity Big Brother. It's well documented that cases of strange animal mutilation around the world often show peculiar injuries. Injuries which defy an obvious explanation, such as small holes made into the carcass with sealed edges, entire organs missing, rectal coring, jaw stripping and exsanguinations of blood. Cases have been documented all over the world by researchers such as David Caton in the UK and Linda Moulton Howe in the US. These researchers strongly link such cases to the UFO phenomenon. In the past, pathologists such as Professor Tony Fremont have looked at images and examined tissue samples from mutilation cases and have been unable to provide an explanation for the evidence. Our government has kept fairly quiet about the many cases reported, which in the UK have included sheep, horses, cattle and also many wild animals. The only known statement ever put out by our government was in 1998 when BBC Manchester did a short piece about the phenomenon and in doing so asked the Ministry of Agriculture to comment. In their brief statement the government said the series of animal mutilations have been very distressing for the farmers involved and the majority of these incidents have been reported to the police as very serious offences and are being dealt with them at present. As a result, it is not for the Ministry of Agriculture, Fisheries and Food to pass comment on these incidents, as they are being handled by the relevant authorities. So, a clear statement in 1998 from the UK government that they know about unexplained mutilations and they know there are multiple cases. Since then, there have been hundreds more cases of unexplained animal mutilation in the UK and the government has not made any comment during that time. 
This is despite my MP in 2009 giving a copy of my film Silent Killers to Jim Fitzpatrick, the then agriculture minister responsible for farm animals. He fobbed it off. I have revealed in my previous lectures much evidence which points to a government cover-up on this issue. In the recent film UFOs and NATO, I looked at evidence suggesting it's not just animals that have fallen victim to such bizarre, unexplained attacks. Probably the most famous case of unexplained human mutilation is the 1988 Brazilian case, where a man was found laid out on soft ground with no signs of fighting or a struggle, no signs that other people had been present, and no evidence that the man had been chained or tied. These photographs were accompanied by an official autopsy report from the Legal Medicine Institute in Sao Paulo. The report reveals some shocking facts. Here are just a few. The ear cut off by a slanting incision, also removal of the internal ear, with indications of vital reaction meaning the victim was alive when these incisions were made. Removal of left and right orbital areas, emptying of the mouth cavity, pharynx, oropharynx, neck, left and right armpit area, abdomen, pelvic cavity, and right and left groin areas. Left and right armpit areas show a circular discontinuity, a round hole, four centimeters in diameter, showing vital reaction meaning the man was alive when these holes were made. Absence of organs in the pelvis and abdominal cavity due to the removal of all viscera with signs of tearing and vital reaction. Again, meaning he was alive when the internal organs were somehow removed. The internal organs were presumably removed via the small holes. An extensive hematoma was observed throughout the whole length of the stretched, bruised penis, which was not excised, unlike the scrotum, which was excised. The penis showed an enlarged urethral channel, suggesting the prostate gland was extracted through the penis. Now, I could go on, but I'll just leave it there. Suffice to say, this was not done by an animal predator, and the evidence cannot easily be put down to murder by human beings. It points to something much more bizarre, and is identical to some of the unexplained characteristics that have been found on animals over several decades. It looks like whoever, or whatever did this, carried it out in order to obtain certain specific items from that body. As in cases of unexplained animal mutilation, the organs that are removed from the internal cavities are never found. When blood is exsanguinated, it is never found. This body was effectively harvested. When I hear about cases like this, I am reminded of the comments made by former Naval Intelligence Officer Bill Cooper in the 1980s when he spoke about flying saucer retrievals in the 1940s. There were many more saucer crashes and downed craft than what you have realized. And there are two crashes that are so important that the government will go to any lengths to prevent you from finding out and those are two crashes which occurred near the city of Aztec, New Mexico. Why? Because both of those crashed craft contained human body parts. And they are deathly afraid of a national panic. I'll now give a quick summary of the central story covered in my film, UFOs and NATO. 
After airing a programme on national TV about animal mutilation in 2009, I was contacted by South Wales UFO researcher Derek Goff, who informed me about what he had learned from a Special Forces soldier in 1997. This soldier had worked in a secret find and secure team and been involved in missions all over the world to protect evidence left on the ground after military engagement with UFOs. He claimed to have witnessed many cases of human mutilation similar to the Brazilian case and in all cases the bodies were taken by an American military team, returned to military bases, the authorities and public would not be informed these mutilations were being covered up. Derek Goff made contact with his military source after putting up this poster in the Brecon Beacons, asking people to come forward with their UFO sightings. The military source saw the poster, contacted him, and they had three meetings in which he supplied 11 photographs of two mutilated bodies which were recovered from the Brecon Beacons in the 1990s. Many things happened at that time in 1997, which made Derek Goff very cautious about talking to me. Initially, people from the media tried to buy his story off him. After he refused, he then started to receive threats not to publish details of his story. At some point after this, he suffered a very serious, malicious house fire. He handed the 11 photographs of the mutilated bodies he had been given to South Wales Police, who told him they would arrest the person who gave them to him. He initially kept hold of a spare set for his own use, but the whole incident caused him so much stress he washed his hands of the case and handed the spare images to UFO researcher and retired police sergeant Tony Dodd. Having got the basics of Derek Goff's story in 2009, it took me over two years of persistent contact to get him to talk to me in an audio interview about what he knew. In this clip, he talks about being shown the photographs for the first time. And put his hand in his pocket and then took out his photographs. Colour, full colour. Um, asked me, was I alright? Um, with a feeling of seeing something I wouldn't be sure of. And I said, yeah, you know, thinking of being a bit naive. Show me the photographs and uh, it's just, mouth went dry. Just something that you think, I'm in a car with this man and he's showing me these. You know what I mean? And he was a big bloke, like, a girl and boy. Girl of 16, boy, boy of 21. Right. Can't go through it now, so I can't, um, Typical for you to do Can't wait. Right. So there were 11 photographs. Mm. Right. And... Uh, no genitals. Mm-hmm. I'm gone. Um... Let's take your time. Teeth missing. That's just, um... And the boy had... Most of his skin was peeled off. All the top layers, it's red. Mm-hmm. It's just horrifying. Right. And that was horrifying enough on its own, but to think I did in a car with this man and my partner in the back, uh-huh. I mean, I think I'm a bit uh, Andy, uh-huh. but compared to this guy, after what I seen, I thought, and I'm stuck in the middle of this. Right. Anything could have happened to us. Yeah. No, where the genitals are, there was like, um, like a circle. Like a circle. Gone out. Like somebody, a cutter had gone in, but it was... Like a cutter had gone in and taken them out. Okay. Yeah, it's just... But it was no... No mess, eh? No mess. Which I understand now, but I didn't understand then, but now I know about right. this blood thing that that, that right. uh, carries on. I mean, it was just clean cut. It was just like somebody put a cutter in and right. taken it. So just to, just to get them 
we'll quickly list them. Mm. So the, the genitals were gone on both the male and the female. Yeah, yeah. Right. And what about the, the, the breasts on the, on the gone. female? Gone. No, nothing. No teeth, no eyes. No teeth, no Lips eyes. Lips are gone. Okay. And, and the, were they decomposed at all? Or, or no, no. That's another right. funny okay. thing. And was the skin gone on the entire bodies on both of them? Then, no, just on, on, on the boy. On the boy. So he... He, he said it's like somebody just peeled it off. Right. All the top part. Right. And, and But the girl had had her... Head hair removed and all of that. All, all the hair gone. It's like if it um, looked like a new newborn child that had been, but had, had grown up, you know, born like that. Nothing, no, no facial hair, nothing at all. So she just, she just had genitals removed, breast, breast, removed. lips, lips. No, well, if I say eyes, the eyes were um, sunken in then. Okay. And he said to me that when he uh, checked it, because he got to check for certain things, mm -hmm. possibly life, um, there was nothing there. The breasts were, were just like some of sliced the breasts off, okay. and it was just red there, just that right. deep colour of red. But okay. there was no, no, nothing coming down the sides right. or... So was there any blood dripping on the car? No, nothing at all, nothing. Yeah, so that it, right. Over the years, some have cast doubt over Derek Goff and suggested that he invented the military source. After much persistence, I was able to find out the identity and the address of the military source. I can state categorically the military source is a real person and was in the armed forces. I found out his identity. I went to his house to see if he would speak. Bear in mind, this was in 2013, and he had not spoken about the mutilations since 1997, 16 years earlier. I pulled up outside his house and he was sitting... Um on the step and I had a brief conversation with him and I've recorded some of that on a pen camera. What follows is a transcript of the first conversation I had when I pulled up outside his house. Hiya, are you Yes. I've been doing some research and would like to ask you, were you involved in Group 58? Group, um, Group 58? Group 58? In the military? On the Brecon Biggins? He then shakes his head. No. There's a guy called Is that you? Yes. What's going on? You were in the military between 1983 and about 1995. Were you in the army? Uh, have you been in the army? No. Uh, what's all this about? It's a story that I've been researching and I've been trying to find this guy. A colleague of mine helped me find you, so that's all I know. What regiment? It was a NATO regiment connected with NATO. NATO? Yes, so it's special forces. Who gave you that? Who gave you that then? Who gave me that? Uh, a guy called Tony Dodd. He shouldn't have given you that. He shouldn't have given you that. Uh, sorry? He shouldn't have given you that. He shouldn't have given me it. Well, I did make contact with him. Uh, Tony Dodd has spoken to you, I think. He shouldn't have given you that information. Well, are you prepared to speak to me? No. No. You can't say anything then? No, just drive away. Drive away. Okay. What I've done is I've written him a note and I've come back today. So uh, the note explained the reason why I'm contacting him, that I'm interested in these particular photographs, and he's actually spoken to me. So he said, look, we can't talk here. Uh, so I've got an inkling that, you know, maybe he might speak to me. I don't know, but the guy is on two crutches and he also has a wheelchair. He's got MS... MS is one of the conditions you can get if you are exposed to high levels of radiation, which in the notes that I've got from um, 
Derek Goff. Uh, this is what allegedly happened to him. He had exposure because um, he was five feet from a UFO and he ended up in hospital for two weeks with another guy. Um, so the condition that he's in now, with he had two crutches, um, is po quite possibly down to the, the work that he was doing in his finding secure unit to cover up UFO cases and in particular mutilated human beings. I also said that I was aware of the photographs that have been handed um, to Tony Dodd, 11 photographs I said of two mutilated corpses up on Brecon. He didn't flinch. He knew exactly what I was talking about. And when I mentioned UFOs, he didn't flinch. He knew what I was talking about. But he said to me, look, you can't keep coming to the house. He said to us, uh, right, if you drive down there in this particular car park, he says, wait for me there. I'll be 20 minutes. So I waited. He showed up. And then he said, right, follow me in the car. He drove about a mile to a, a place which is safe that no one can hear, hear us speaking. We got out the car. He then checked to make sure that I didn't have any uh, recording devices on me and I turned my pockets inside out and showed him that my camera was in the car. I said, is it okay if I take some notes? So I had a piece of paper and a pencil. He says, that's fine. So he spoke to me. This man um, said that he was in a black ops unit uh, that was controlled by the Yanks. That's what he said. And he said that when he volunteered for this in the 1980s, uh, he didn't know what he was getting himself into. He said that we didn't know what we were volunteering for. But once we'd volunteered, we had no choice but to stick with it. You're in for life. And he said that if, if um, they find out that people like him um, speak about what their operations, he wouldn't be here and his family wouldn't be here. He was implying that um, his life is at risk and his family's if he was to speak about what he knows about. Uh, now, <clears throat> I asked him about this alleged encounter with um, the UFO. In the previous notes, um, it was stated that one of these black ops soldiers was just five feet from a UFO. I asked him about this and he confirmed that that was the case. And... Um, I said to him, well, why, how come you were so close to it? And he said, we were guarding it. All right, so I said, well, was it a crash retrieval? And he said, right, I can't tell you any more information about that. So um, read into that what you will. Uh, now, he also said that he witnessed all kinds of things uh, in and around the craft. He said that he actually witnessed an ET on more than one occasion. And he said, it's nothing like you would see in films with big eyes and smiley faces. Uh, and I said, well, what did this uh, being looked like and he said it looked like a devil and he also said that they would rip you apart that's that was what he said and he said that he did get a, a view of inside this particular landed ufo and he said that there was all kinds in there and he implied that there was human body parts in there and we've heard that from people such as bill cooper in the past now i asked him about his injuries because um uh he clearly uh, has got health problems and as have uh, a number of the, the people who were on his team, and he said that some of his colleagues were no longer with us, so they died as a result of their injuries, uh, which were, um, they suffered as a result of um, being in part of this fine and secure team. Uh, he also said that um, they have all suffered skin rashes, skin cancer, and uh, tumours as well. Uh, and like I say, some of his, his friends on that unit have already passed away, and there will only be probably in their early 50s. Um, now, I asked him about the injuries uh, to try and get him to describe the injuries that have been found on some of these um, recovered corpses, and he just said, you just wouldn't want to see it. All right? Uh, he also um, 
gave information about an underground facility near Sunnybridge uh, and also confirmed the radar facility which is hidden under the ground on the Brecon Beacons which comes up at night, some radar facility which is used for tracking the UFOs. And I asked them, you know, how come... Um, you're able to do this, and it's because he confirmed again that they have advanced warning, and he doesn't know how. He doesn't know how they know uh, when these UFOs are going to appear. And I asked him how often he would go out on these um, missions, these find and secure missions. He said about four times every six months. I asked him about the statement in Derek Goff's notes that, that they witnessed between 30 and 40 mutilated human beings. He confirmed that. He confirmed that you know, the, 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 there's a lot of cases. He, he was saying, oh, films are all good enough about UFOs and, and ETs and all of this, he said, but when you get involved in it reality, in reality, it's a completely different thing. And the other thing he said was, he says, this statement that aliens are friendly, that he's obviously heard through watching media and whatnot, he says, he was no way. And I said to him, well, how long do you think this sort of activity has been going on for? And without, without flinching, he said, since before we we were here and i said is it still going on now absolutely um and i said to him do you believe that there's different types of being different types of of alien and he said yes he did believe that i asked him about locations where this activity is going on and he said he believed that it was happening all over the world i also asked him how he felt about his situation the fact that he's not allowed to speak about anything and the fact that he's obviously physically affected um, by the radiation burns that he received and he said he didn't have any hard feelings about it because he said that we signed up for this okay we didn't know what we were signing up to but we knew it was a uh, something that could put our lives at risk so i signed up for it so he, he, he doesn't um and he said that's why they're looking after him now just from his demeanor and his mannerisms the way that he put it across he was confirming pretty much everything that that i was asking him about the, the original goff interview and he also gave me additional information. Here is a list of information he relayed to me in a series of five meetings in the latter half of 2013. Eleven volunteers were picked out. It was a special forces black ops group under command of NATO in which the Yanks were in charge. Other countries' governments were aware of the operations but most do not have the technology to deal with it, therefore allowed the Americans to get on with it under the umbrella of NATO. This includes the Russians. Whilst on an operation near the Russian border, a UFO came out of a cavern system and nearly took their heads off, upon which they opened fire. Opening fire would not usually affect a UFO. He thought that there would definitely be another group carrying out these operations today. The operation in Brecon Beacon, where the two bodies were discovered, was on Taliban Mountain. The military have secret systems based on a laser that can bring down UFOs. There are eight around the world that he knew of, two in the UK, one in Germany and a few in the US. It disables or interferes with the propulsion of the UFO and causes them to come down. The military had an idea roughly as to where and when the UFOs were appearing and would send their team out in advance of firing this weapon. Once the evidence is secured, another totally separate team would come to the site. This could take days. They referred to that team as the collectors, who were always American. They would leave with the evidence and would just leave the find and secure team to fend for themselves. He is still in touch with some of the soldiers from his team, two of whom have now died. He has seen hundreds of UFOs, some landed and some in the sky. There was a variety of different shapes. 
they were not flying saucer shaped, some triangular, others square or rectangular, not aerodynamic shapes. They ranged in size from the size of a car to three times the size of an articulated lorry. The surfaces were smooth and some had overlapping tiles. They usually had lights on them of varying colours and configurations. One craft gave off a light like an arc welder and caused damage to their eyes and he had to be admitted to hospital after that incident. Another craft which they got close to looked metallic but when pushed by hand gave way having some kind of elastic property which returned to the original shape after applying a force. He said he thought that because some of the craft were so small there must be bigger mother type ships which these craft had come from. I suggested that UFOs might use reservoirs as hiding places and he said no they don't go in reservoirs although when asked where they do go it seemed he wasn't sure. He said they just appear. He did not know where they were originating from but stated they are here meaning they are in our atmosphere regularly. He said they can just appear and when asked about cloaking confirmed that he thought they had those kind of abilities and also incredible dynamics. He said they can come down to the ground very quick. The first operation he was involved with was in northern Scotland and the largest recovery of bodies was in Australia, a case where 24 bodies had been left. Injuries are the same as animal mutilation type injuries. He said that internal organs would be removed and also brains. He seemed to think that anything connected with the nervous system is what they would take. He did not see a lot of blood on the corpses. They usually choose remote, out-of-the-way places to carry out human mutilations. They knew where to go and where to take from, where the people would not be missed for a long time. Bodies included people and children. He has multiple sclerosis and is on crutches. He has various scars, one of which he showed me on his right arm just below the elbow. He has three pins in his hip, he had work done on his shoulder and has had a knee replacement. He said that he hasn't had cancer and then said, touch wood, indicating he is worried about it. I asked if he communicated with any of the ETs he claimed to have seen. He replied no. He said they were incredibly quick. They could move 60 metres in a split second. He said they are not friendly and you would not approach one. He saw two of them wearing what looked like wetsuit or a flight suit. He said you could not approach them on your own. You needed cover because they were so quick. He said he witnessed three distinct types of ETs on these missions. He stated that in four or five of these cases there were craft debris and they were able to see what had been on board the craft. This included human and animal body parts. He claimed there is a UFO tracking facility in the military land at Sennybridge. It is stored under the ground and comes up at night. It consists of a large aerial, quite wide, about 50 to 60 metres high. It can be seen from the public road at night above the trees. There is also a radar dish that rotates and it too only comes up at night. It is about the size of a car. The aerial is used somehow to track the UFOs. The source eventually stopped talking to me. On at least two occasions he failed to turn up at pre-agreed meeting places and the telephone number he gave me was no longer being responded to. Since making the film I have gathered some more information. Firstly, when Derek Goff first met the source in 1997, on two occasions, Derek's then wife sat in the back of the car taking notes. Derek has given me original copies of all the notes that were taken in their meetings in 1997. Having obtained the notes, I then managed to trace Derek Goff's ex-wife and went to visit her. She verified that the handwriting in the notes is hers and confirmed that she was present with Derek Goff in 1997 when they met the military source. 
she stated that she thought the whistleblower seemed genuine and believable. I've also, through a third party, made further inquiries to Gwent Police to try and verify Goff's claims about meeting a Detective Constable Adams and handing in the 11 photographs. So far, these inquiries have proved fruitless, though an approach via the Freedom of Information Act is still pending. The notes from Derek Goff are very interesting and contain some information that was not given to me when I met the military source. Americans had a north base somewhere in Scotland. Bodies that were recovered were put in freezers at this base. Postmortems were carried out. There were 495 in American team, inclusive of 30-odd commanders. The British soldiers never called the American officers sir, but had to take orders from them before their own senior officers. His team was not allowed to touch the bodies and not look too closely. Americans always took the bodies. In many cases, they saw burn marks on the ground, ranging from the size of a car and some much bigger. Sometimes trees would be twisted, almost in a full circle. What he has witnessed has affected his whole life. He is now quick-tempered, frustrated, a heavy smoker, and is overprotective of his children. The closest he has been to a UFO is five feet. It radiated heat, had no windows, made no noise, and was not actually on the ground. In that case, he and some of his colleagues were submitted to hospital. In the Brecon case, where a male and female were recovered, they went to a car initially. Its engine was running, no one was there. The seats had been removed from the front somehow. The car was taken away by the military and samples were taken from the ground. Two weeks later, three kilometres from where the car was found, two bodies were recovered, male and female. The male's skin was peeled away on one side. Private parts, ears and eyes were missing. This is describing the images seen by Derek Goff. No civilian police were present. The military bagged the bodies and removed them. The girl and boy recovered from Brecon were aged between 16 to 21, not 16 and 21 as suggested in the previous film. This was a misinterpretation from these notes. He has witnessed more female cases than male. The burn marks on the ground nearby are often accompanied with pressure marks. He estimates he has seen around 36 bodies in total. Now, when I met the military man, I asked him if he could give me the date that the two bodies were recovered from Brecon Beacon. He refused and said that this would be giving me too much information. I set about trying to find corroborating evidence. I went to Brecon Library and scoured newspapers from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. One story stood out as a possible candidate from the Brecon and Radnor Express dated the 23rd of August, 1990. It read... Helicopter search for missing man. Police used their new helicopter and dogs in their search for a London man missing in Lambeda, Crickowell on Monday. The man, who has not been named by the police, hired a car in London to visit friends in the Crickowell and Swansea areas. The car was found with its lights illuminated and its engine running. There was no sign of the man. The man was later found in London in a confused state. Some of the facts in this article line up with our mutilation case. Firstly, the location. The military source told me that the bodies were found on Taliban Mountain, and in Goff's notes, it states the bodies were found three kilometres from where the car was found. As we can see from this map, Lambetta is around five kilometres from the Taliban Mountain range, so the location is in the right area. 
The newspaper article points out that the engine of the car was running and that there was no sign of the man, meaning nobody was there. Goff's notes state the engine was running, no one there, no seats in front, car taken away. After finding the article, I went to Lambetta and spoke to three people in the village. Incredibly, all of them remembered the helicopter search in 1990. I spoke to a farmer whose farm is next to the lay-by where the car was discovered. He said he thought there were two people missing from the car, not one as stated in the newspaper article. He also said he believed that no one was ever found in connection with the empty car. It seems, from speaking to this farmer, that a little white lie may have been inserted into this story about the car belonging to a man from London who was later found in a confused state. If a man was found alive, why is the man not named? And why would they conduct a helicopter search of the mountains just because a man left his car with its engine running? It seems a bit drastic. How did they know he was not in the nearest pub, for example? This part of the story does not ring true and looks like it may have been given to the media to cover up the abduction of the young couple from the vehicle. We have another case which corroborates that the military have removed vehicles from that region. We know about a case in Langunada. He witnessed a UFO and after the incident his car was covered in a white dust. The military actually took his car off him and gave him over £4,000 in compensation. This was at Langunada, which is in between the two locations of Lambetta and Taliban Mountain. So we do know that the military removed vehicles in connection with UFOs in those regions. Now I'm not 100% on this, but if we assume this newspaper article is speaking about the same incident that the military source informed both myself and Derek Goff about, it means the mutilated couple met their fate on the 20th of August 1990. I've tried to find information about two people going missing on that date, but so far have drawn a blank. If they could be traced, it would be a huge piece of corroborating evidence which would substantiate the claims of our whistleblower. After the film aired, I was contacted by another ex-military man who claimed he knew exactly which military unit the Special Forces soldier was part of. In his email he states, I served with 5-8 for a number of years, and knowing what we were tasked to do, including support to special forces, the work described by your contact would possibly have fallen to them. 5-8 headquarters is now based in Cambridgeshire as part of 3-3 Engineer EOD Regiment, the Royal Engineers, Bomb Disposal Unit. I wanted to find out if he knew our military source. He asked me, was he Welsh? I replied, yes. He then gave me the name of the source, purely going on the fact that he was Welsh. I was now fairly sure that this was the right regiment. Unfortunately, our newfound source did not serve alongside our original source in any active missions, and did not serve in any find and secure operations. He was not seconded to special forces, so he had no knowledge of the missions the original source claimed to have taken part in. I met with this second military person and he showed me all of his military papers to prove who he was and the squadrons he served in. He explained that 5-8 is actually part of the regular army. 
he provided an organizational chart from memory of the various squadrons in the 3-3 EOD Engineer Regiment at that time, which deals with bomb disposal. He also gave me a lot of information of when and why the squadrons within 3-3 were set up. One interesting thing he told me was that part of his training involved travelling to remote locations and erecting containment scaffolding in a circular fashion to conceal a site. He was always puzzled by this, as he thought the scaffolding itself could never have withstood a blast from a bomb, so he thought it was for some other purpose. So, it looks like our original military source was in the Royal Engineers EOD Bomb Disposal Regiment and served in 5-8 Field Squadron. He was probably seconded to Special Forces from 5-8 Squadron because of his specialist training in sealing off, containing and protecting sensitive areas, which is what bomb disposal engineers are trained to do. In the Army, 5-8 Squadron is usually just referred to as 5-8, so it looks like the name Group 5-8 has arisen because a small group from 5-8 were seconded to special forces to work in a covert find and secure team, hence the name. It is known that 5-8 personnel do on occasions get seconded to special forces, such as the SAS or the SBS. In 1997, the whistleblower showed Derek Goff passes for both MOD St. Athens and Minley Barracks. Minley Barracks again lines up with him being in 5-8 Squadron because Minley is where the Royal Engineers do their training. Having discovered which part of the army our military source served in, I set about trying to find other members of 5-8 Squadron who served in the 80s and 90s that might have been seconded to the same covert find and secure team. Bear in mind that at any one time there could be between 60 and 100 men serving in 5-8 Squadron and only a small number of those would have been seconded to the find and secure team. An internet search for Royal Engineer sites came up with the Sapper site and the better known Forces Reunited. These included contact details for ex-members of 3-3 Engineer Regiment and more specifically ex-members of 5-8 Field Squadron. My inquiries into this are ongoing with ex-5-8 members and I've made contact with several. This is a rather delicate operation, because obviously anyone who was involved will have signed the Official Secrets Act. I am continuing to search for more members of 5-8 Squadron, and I would be interested in talking to anyone who served in that unit between the mid-80s and the mid-90s. I hope to report more on this in future programmes. It's a fair point to make that the story is weak because it is based mainly on the testimony of just one whistleblower. This is the reason why I am continuing to search for more evidence and more witnesses. Having said that, there are a number of reasons why I think this story is probably true. His ability to remember everything 16 years after he broke the story to Derek Goff, his reaction to me when I first turned up at his house, which I have on video, his knowledge of military operations, his general demeanour and his concern that I may have attempted to record him, his injuries and his state of health. I know Derek Goff quite well now, and I am convinced that he was in possession of the photographs that he described. I've still not been able to locate these photographs, which were given to former police sergeant Tony Dodd. Frustratingly, Tony Dodd's wife threw out all of his research material after he died, so the photographs may well have been destroyed. 
I have managed, however, to get hold of an audio recording from one of Tony Dodd's lectures given in September 1997, where he talks about cases of unexplained human mutilation in the UK. Not on Brecon Beacon, but this time in Dolby Forest, Yorkshire. And they were finding very large numbers of bodies, animal carcasses, um, going from cattle, horses, sheep, uh, all you go through the spectrum, they appear uh, in the lot. And uh, of course there was a, a Ministry of Agriculture report into this thing that was being kept extremely quiet by them. Not only have they found animals up there, but that particular area which is within that frame there, they have over a period of time had seven bodies found. Now, according to the locals up there, they said that they were informed by the people who were in authority there that the bodies were tailors' dummies which had been placed in the field by somebody on seven separate occasions. But the thing about it was is that one of my contacts actually saw them removing one of these bodies one day. There was a hearse at the side of the road, um, which was accompanied by some sort of official car. It wasn't a police car, it was a dark car, which did actually have a blue light inside the windscreen. It could have been in the street defence, but it had no markings on the car. Now, this body, or Taylor's dummy, as they wanted people to believe, was put in a coffin and uh, loaded into the hearse and taken away very quickly and very mysteriously. Now, bear in mind, that was the seventh occasion that they found a Taylor's dummy in that field. I'll refer to them as Taylor's dummies. Um, were found by some hikers going across the field. And uh, it was then actually some of the authorities. And um, from my contacts who were at the scene, uh, they said the Taylor's dummy uh, was a human. And it, one thing which is very, very consistent with this is that whenever they find a human body or human mutilation, it has never got any hair on, it's never got any clothing on, and it's never got any hair. All the hair on the body is gone. Therefore, it could certainly look like a tailor's dummy to anybody who doesn't know. Uh, but this particular one was, was devoid of clothing, it was devoid of hair, um, and it had areas cut out with it, which consistently again with the mutilation, um, human mutilation side. So that was the seventh case of that that we were aware of. Now, I have some people who were placed in the area and one of them was a great friend of the undertaker who was involved in this. And he actually approached him to ask him about this particular incident. And the undertaker absolutely flatly refused to speak to him about it. He would not talk to him about it at all. Which um, my friend thought was extremely uh, strange because I said they were great friends. Now, he later spoke to another undertaker. There's two opposing undertakers in the, uh, in the area. And it was at a cocktail party that he had to come across the opposing undertaker. And he mentioned this to him. And he said to him, he said, well, he can't tell you about what's going on because it's under, he, he's governed by the Official Secrets Act. This is an undertaker. And uh, so my contact said to him, well, I understand there's been seven bodies over a period of time removed from them fields up there. And the response, obviously, of the table was have no idea seven on the tip of the iceberg. Now, the thing about it is, of course, when you get a body like this, yeah, it's under a certain 
the Brecon case in this talk. Derek Goff did tell me that Tony told him that his life would be at risk if he disclosed that he was in possession of those images. Perhaps this is why Tony never published them. Tony Dodd's lecture provides testimony that human mutilation cases may have occurred in the UK other than on Brecon beacons. And it's interesting to note the two locations where we suspect human mutilation is alleged to have occurred. Taliban Mountain, not far from military land at Sennybridge, and Dolby Forest, not far from military land at Filingdales. This would lead some to conclude the mutilations must be military operations. I would agree with that only in part. The source told me that the military had a weapon which it was using to target UFOs. If this is true, then they would probably only fire it when a UFO is over large areas of military-controlled or unpopulated land. Could this explain why human mutilation cases have turned up next to these areas? So, you might ask the question, what is going on? And is it still going on? The few cases we know about in the UK took place in the 1990s. One thing the farmer at Lambetta told me was that the military presence in and around his remote farm in the 1990s was very active and the military would often rent fields off farmers for use of helicopters and such like. But he said the activity significantly died down around the year 2000. If you ask me to guess on what might have been going on with the little information I have, here's my best stab at it. I think it's possible there was an American-led secret military project which was being run in the 1990s under the authority of NATO. Its function was to target and acquire UFO hardware by attempting to disable them with a non-ballistic weapon which had been developed. The project was possibly using parts of the UK military for ground operations to seal off and protect areas that had been affected by their air offensives. Some of these operations were carried out in the UK, but UFOs were only targeted over military-controlled areas so that debris could be easily collected by UK teams. So, why would human mutilation cases be turning up in these areas on the ground after such operations? Well, it's anyone's guess, but perhaps it was a form of retaliation. That's just a hunch. If anyone has any information on 5-8 squadron engineers being seconded to special forces for such operation, I'd really like to hear from you. But you're not going to find out about this by submitting freedom of information requests. Thank you for listening and sleep tight. <laughs>